Welcome to the like, Destiny Podcast. Yeah, this is this is the session that Andy sang to us earlier on in the worship, <laughs> and you'll see what I mean as we go through it. Um, I want to talk about weakness because yeah, we've often I've referred to several times over these last few days that it's those with a childlike heart that enter the kingdom of heaven. And a childlike heart is, is a heart that is dependent and relies on the Father. You know, a childlike heart is a heart that recognizes, actually, I can do nothing in my own strength. But with my Father, I can do everything. Um, now, um, I don't know if I mentioned this this week already. I kind of forget what I've said where. Um, I know I said it last week in Poland, but uh, I may already have said it this week, but... There was one time that God said to me, you know, I will bless what you do. Did I tell you that this week? Yeah. You know, but I will bless what you do, but it will be limited to what you can do. Uh, but if you get out of the way and watch what I do, then you will see great things. You know, that's the, that really, you know, was just so, such a key word to me because, you know, God is so gracious and generous that he does bless what we do. He is, you know, if we do something in our own strength, if we do something because we feel it needs to be done, he goes, yeah, I'll bless that, simply because we're his kids. You know, he doesn't say, oh, Mark, you know, I didn't really want you to do that. I'm not going to bless it. You know, you just can struggle on on your own and then get to the end of yourself and realize what an idiot you've been, you know. He's not like that. He sees your heart and he says, I will bless what you're doing because he loves us. But when we actually get out of the way and let him do it, when we realize that actually we can do nothing in our own strength, um, and if we do anything in our own strength, it just wears us out. But when we come back to that place of resting in him, and we, we actually see that what he's doing is so much better. And that is a key to living a life of rest. You know, we, we get so stressed out, don't we? You know, I am so, I'm, I've made a few changes to my lifestyle over the last few years. You know, about three or four years ago, I was working full-time. I was running my own business with two other guys. And, it, you know, it was busy. It was full-on. Um, I was never one of those guys that would stay in the office till midnight and then come home and wonder why I hadn't seen my kids all day. You know, I think probably in 35 years of working, I can count on one hand, the number of times I've got home later than half past six in the evening from work. And that's been a deliberate choice that I've made. When I started work, I chose, that I made that decision that I was not going to stay in the office late. And I didn't care what people thought about me. And if people overtook me on the greasy pole, they overtook me on the greasy pole. But, you know, there's only been a few occasions where you know something has really happened very late or something and I had to stay late. But most of the time I'm home between five and six in the evening from the office. Um, but even then, you know, I was getting there earlyish and it was a full on day and, and everything and I was doing more and more traveling with, with the ministry side of things. And um, a, f- a couple of years, well, three, four years ago, Fiona said to me, she said, Mark, are you gonna carry on doing everything all the time it's like, you cannot carry on at this pace, you know. You will, you will wear yourself out. She said, you've already worn yourself out. You're already tired and grumpy and miserable. <laughs> you know, only a wife can say that and get away with it. And only a wife is normally true about that as well. <laughs> so, you know, I got to this stage and I realized, yeah, you know, this is crazy. So over the last three years, I've actually cut my working hours down. And I'm now 50% in the office. And I just do the work I enjoy. And I get my staff to enjoy to do the rest. <laughs> and we've cut back the sort of work we do in the office and, and changed the way we do things. And, uh, you know, it's just so much more peaceful for me. Actually, it's peaceful for the staff as well. Um, I've, one of the other policies I've always had in the office is when a client brings some books in Monday morning and says, I want this by Wednesday, the first thing I will do is let me talk to my staff. And I would talk to my staff and say, can we do this by Wednesday, realistically, you know, in the hours that we've got? And if they say, no, we can't, I will go back to the client 
and say we cannot do it by Wednesday. But we can do it by Friday. And we will do it by Friday. Because my staff are more important to me than the pressure that my clients want to put me under or put them under. Everybody would love to work for me. The only problem, <laughs> the only problem is it means being an accountant. <laughs> um, and that's, that's really been important because if I treat my staff well, they will do a good job and then the clients are happy. You know? We've not lost any clients because of that policy. And in fact, clients appreciate being told, yeah, we'll do it by Friday and, and I'm doing it by Friday. See, I want to live in peace. I want to live in rest. But it's important that my staff live in peace and live in rest as well. Because it's not fair that I do it and they don't. You know, I don't want to put pressure on them. You know, I don't want to be the boss with the big stick. Like, you've got to work hard. And they keep saying to me, we really enjoy working here. And I think, good, you know, that's what I want, is, is for people to enjoy their life. And if I can help that in their workplace, then, you know, I can do that. And it's, so, it's been so valuable to me over the last few years just to look at what I've been doing and saying, actually, I can't keep doing everything, but this is what I want to do. And that's just brought me to the, this place of peace, this place of rest. And, you know, I really enjoy what I do. I enjoy this sort of stuff. I love doing this sort of stuff. You've probably gathered I love doing this sort of stuff. But I actually enjoy my job in the office. <coughs> I don't enjoy all the changes that our wonderful governments keep bringing to us, you know. I read in the paper the other day that in the last 12 months we've had four budgets, which is actually true. We've had four budgets, four lots of changes, and it's like, that is not what I enjoy, you know. All the legislation, all that rubbish, just can't be bothered with it. But dealing with the people, um, working with my staff, doing this sort of thing, you know, it's fun. Being with our family is just, you know, it's great. And for me, it's been a really conscious decision over the last few years to look at what I've been doing and deciding that I want to enjoy everything that I do and then changing what needed to be changed in order to facilitate that. And so a couple of years ago, we sold a part of the business because that was just the way to get me free and to get the staff free. And so we sold that whole section. It was a really nice section of the business. The clients were great. The people were great. It was a very profitable section. Um, but it just didn't leave me free to do what I wanted to do or what I felt God had called me to do, if you want me to put it spiritually. <laughs> But doing all of that, you know, difficult decisions, but it's actually changed my lifestyle to live more at rest and live more at peace. And actually to live more dependent on my father. To say, Father, I'm going to trust you for whatever. You know, I want, to, I want to rely on your strength and not on my own strength. Because we're really, really good, aren't we, at trying to get our act together. And actually, it's only an act. It's only a performance. Um, in, in Deuteronomy, um, Moses is talking to the people about their story. He's telling them their history. And he says in chapter 1, he says, Don't be Do not be terrified. Do not be afraid. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did in Egypt before your eyes and in the desert. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries a son all the way you went until you reached this place. And that gives us a little glimpse of what God's heart is like. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries a son. Now let me put that in context. The people were being rebellious. They were doing their own thing. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 1 in Deuteronomy and read it, you know, Moses says, you're a rebellious people. You've turned your back on God. You've tried to do it your own way. You've been wandering around the desert for 40 years. It should have taken them 40 days to walk from Egypt to the promised land. But they just got on their hamster wheel and went round and round and round and round and round. And it took them 40 years. And Moses is going on at them about how rebellious they are. You know, this isn't 
a nice cheery sermon to a nice group of people who've done everything right. And Moses comes to this point, he says, haven't you seen that even in your rebellion, haven't you seen how God has carried you like a father carries a child? And that's just such a glimpse into the heart of the father. At the end of Deuteronomy, you know, Moses says again, he says, there's no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides on the heavens to help you. And on the clouds in his majesty, the eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are his everlasting arms. So you've got that picture of great power and great strength and great majesty. You know, the great God who rides on the clouds. But yet underneath are his everlasting arms. And, you know, Moses is saying to them, he will fight for you. Don't be afraid. He will fight for you. He will carry you all the way. All the way through the hard times, all the way through the good times. He will carry you every day. You see, we, we have this image of God, don't we? It's like, it's like we're carrying a big backpack of burdens. And it's like we're weighed down with all the burdens of life. And we see this great big strong God and we think, oh yes, he can carry my rucksack. And we say, here you are God, here's my rucksack of burdens. You know, the kids, the money, the finances, the job the stress of life, health. You know, God, here's, here's my, my backpack of burdens. You carry it. You're stronger than me. And do you know what? He loves to carry our burdens. Peter says, cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. He loves to carry your burdens. He loves to lift the burdens off you. He loves to take that rucksack of all those heavy things that you carry around. But he wants more than that. He wants to carry you as well. He wants to reach down and pick you up and carry you. Just like he carried his people all the way through the desert and all the way through the wilderness. And that's what he wants to do for us, is to carry us like a father carries a son, like a father carries a daughter. In Isaiah chapter 40, there's another picture of the tenderness of of the father. In, in verse 10 and 11, it says, See how the sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. See, it's, you know, again, there's this picture of the great strength and the power and the majesty of God, you know, the, the greatness and so often we, we think that that greatness makes him distant. You know, that God is great, God is majestic, God is awesome. But he's also very distant. It's like the queen, isn't it? She's great, she's majestic, but she's distant from us, isn't she? You know, we can't get close to her. I, I, I remember in the Olympic Games four years ago, you know, there was, I don't know if you saw the opening ceremony of the Olympic Games, but... They had the queen getting into the helicopter with 007. And then it looked like she jumped out of the helicopter and parachuted into the, the stadium. Of course, we know it, that bit was, was a stunt guy, and an actor, but she then walks into the stadium and everyone cheers. But I think most people in this country were totally, totally stunned by that because that is not the queen we know. You know, that's not the queen we see on television. Like, this is her having a bit of fun. <gasps> This is her kind of doing something different. This is her breaking the mold. And you know, only five people knew that that was going to happen. Um, Prince William and Prince Harry didn't know it was going to happen. You know, no one else in the family, I mean, probably Duke of Edinburgh, Prince Philip, he probably knew. Obviously, 007 knew. But you know, nobody else in the royal family knew. And then the next day on the television... Sue Barker was interviewing Prince William and Prince Harry. And she said, she said to them, she said, wow, we didn't know the Queen. You know, how did you get the Queen to do that? You know, and Prince William said, well, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't know anything about it. She like, and Prince Harry said, well, I thought there was something funny going on one day. But you know, they didn't know. And, and Sue Barker said, well, you know, how, you know, who persuaded the Queen to do that? It's like this is such a shock that she would ever do something so such fun. And then Prince William said, 
he said this. He said, ah, he said, the thing is, you see her as the queen, but she's my grandma. And that was just such an eye-opener. He said, you know, she is such fun. You know, when she's got the doors closed and it's just the family together, she's just like any other grandma. She is such good fun. You know, and I thought, that's true. It's like her, we see her as this majestic, you know, person, member of the royal family, the queen, you know, an amazing lady, and, but very, very distant. But yet Prince William said, no, 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 she's, she's my grandma. You know, I know, I know her. I know her differently to the way you know her. And that's, you know, that's these pictures that we get in Deuteronomy and Isaiah, that there's this great, great, powerful God. There's this amazingly strong God. There's this amazingly awesome God. And just that very description of him can make him distant. But Moses and Isaiah right now, he's not like that. He is the God who reaches down and carries you. Every day of your life, he will carry you. He's like a shepherd who picks up a little lamb and holds it close to his heart and tenderly cares for that little, that little lamb. You know, that lamb can feel the shepherd's heartbeat. A couple of years ago, um, it, our youngest daughter, it's her birthday on Sunday, but she was obviously born in March. It's always about the time that you, the new lambs come out you know, are born. And when she was a little kid, we always used to take her on her birthday or birthday Sunday to see the lambs at this big farm near us. And we'd always go round there and she could hold the lambs and go cuckoo and ah and all that sort of stuff. And anyway, about two years ago, it's her birthday and she was home. And we said to her, what do you want to do on your birthday? She said, I want to go and see the lambs. <laughs> so we went up. Oh, I think John was, a, there was John and Hannah, and we went up to, to this big farm to see these lambs. And it's like everybody else was there with their young children, and Fiona and I were there with our grown-up children. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, okay. <laughs> and everybody else there, they had their little kids, and they were sitting in the pen holding this little lamb and feeding it with a bottle and all that sort of thing. And, and Hannah said, I want to feed the lambs. So she went in the pen and she's like 21 or 22. And she's sitting there with a bottle feet, holding this little lamb and feeding it. And there's all these other little kids who are about five and six holding little lambs and feeding it. It's, like, it's just like, okay, it's just what we do, you know. But it's like just that tenderness of holding a little lamb close and, you know, giving that little lamb security and then being able to feed it and so on. It's like, this is the picture that we're given of our father, of a big, big, strong father who's very, very tender and very, very loving and who wants to carry us through life. Yeah, He doesn't just want to carry us on the bad days. He wants to carry us on the good days because he wants to share in everything with us and be there for us. So that instead of us relying on our own strength, we rely on his strength. You know, we've, we've grown up in this culture that teaches us that our own strength is a good thing. You know, the way to survive is to be strong. Um, that, and, and the trouble is, in order for us to be strong, we end up pushing other people down. And we've, you know, our education system teaches us to, to get the best qualifications, get the best exam results. Get through the system because if, if you get a good qualification, you get a good job. Maybe, you know. Um, but it's like we're always forced to, to, to do, do the right thing. Now, you know, I told you the other day that I, my love of sport and, you know, how I just enjoy sport so much. <laughs> but I remember one time when I, I went to a boarding school and I, I remember one time that I got, I was in my last year, I was 17 or 18, and I got into an argument with a guy in the school. And the problem was, this other guy was the best athlete in the whole school. He was the fittest guy in the whole school. But he was also one of the best academic guys in the school as well. And the people who were really, really popular in my boarding school 
were boys who were good at sport and boys who were academic. And you know my love of sport, and you know that I'm not up there with all the other <laughs> athletes. But I also wasn't one of the most academic guys either. So I got into this argument with this guy, which was a really stupid thing to do, from my point of view. Um, but it turned into a fight. Now, in my school, if two boys started fighting, all the other boys formed a square around them, which became a bit like the boxing ring, you know? And the two boys were in the middle going for it. And what, what all the boys did was they would shout out the name of the guy they wanted to win the fight. So we get into this argument, we get into this fight, the boxing ring is formed around us, and I'm suddenly aware that nobody is shouting my name. <laughs> you know, I'm on my own. You know, these, these, all these other guys are cheering this other guy on, like as if he needed their support. <laughs> you, know? you know, he could have beaten me up with one hand behind his back, his eyes closed and everything else. You know, he didn't need this. I was the one who needed support. But they were all cheering him on and, and it was like deathly science for me. And anyway, then he landed a, you know, a few punches in my face and I was on the floor just bleeding and, you know. And he leant over me and he pointed his finger in my face. And he said, just remember this. I said, yeah, I'll remember this. You know, and I still do. <laughs> he, said, he said, just remember this. I'm, yeah, yeah, I'll remember. He said, just remember that might is always right. And... You know, when he said that, I knew he was totally, totally wrong. But I decided to have a little bit of wisdom and not argue with him. <laughs> so I said, I didn't say but. I just said, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Might is always right. But, and, you know, I knew, of course, he was wrong. I was not going to go any further with that fight. You know, I was on the ground and he had some heavy shoes on. And I think his, his feet would have come into play rather than his fists. So I just decided to take the easy route out and say, yeah, yeah, I agree. But, you know, that's what we're taught, isn't it? That might is always right. You know, if you can be powerful, you'll be right. And actually, it's so, so far removed from the truth that might and our own strength is, is not always right at all. Um, you know, we're taught that weak, being weak is bad. It's a bad thing to be weak. Um, but actually, Jesus talks about weakness a lot. Paul writes about weakness a lot. Um, we'll see that in a few moments. You know, you know, we do have talents and abilities. Every one of us has got a different abilities, different talents, different giftings. You know, and God's given us those, and he wants us to use them. But he doesn't want us to draw attention to, to, to them, to the, to the talents and the the gifts. He wants us to draw attention to him. You know, and it says in Ephesians that Paul has, uh, that Paul has, that God has prepared good works in advance for us to do. You know, and there are things that God has prepared that have got your name on them. And I would encourage you to find them and do them with all of your heart. The, the problem is most of us spend most of our time doing everything we think is a good thing whether or not it's got our name on it. You know, we see something, and say, oh yeah, that's a good thing, that, that needs to be done, I'll do it. Or someone says, you know, Mark, this is a good thing, you do it. And you just say yes. Now, the problem is most of the, uh, not most, a lot of the things we do, you know, do they really have our name on them? You know, are they one of the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do? Because if they are, then do it with all of your heart. But if it hasn't got your name on it, don't do it. See, if you do something that hasn't got your name on it, two things will happen. One is it will become a burden and a stress to you. You won't do it in peace. The second thing is you will deny the person whose name is on it the privilege of doing it. You know, and you'll be, do, you'll be running around exhausted but you're doing the good works that God has prepared for someone else. And I encourage you just to, you know, whenever there's, you know, it's like whenever there's something comes up, it's just to say, Father, 
Does this have my name on it? Is this a good work that you've prepared for me to do? Because if it is, it will give you peace. It will be joyful. If it's not, it will just be a good work, and it might be hard work, and it will take away your peace. So I, you know, we do have talents. We do have abilities. God wants us to use them. But just ask him, does this have my name on it? Is this one of the good works you've prepared in advance for me to do? And if it is, then do it with all of your do it with all of your heart. See, we spend so long trying to polish our own effort and make our own effort look good and doing things in our own strength. For a long, long time I did things in my own strength. You know, when we first got married, um, just after we got married, we planted a church in our town, and we led it for a number of years, along with another couple. And um, initially, we started with 12 people, a small group. Over six months, we grew to, we grew to a church of 70 people. Um, you know, everybody in the town wanted to join us. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people in the town wanted to join us. And so we spent a lot of time going to see people and having cups of tea and telling them how wonderful our church was and how wonderful we were and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then after about six months, we'd grown to about 70. Over the next six months, we shrank to 20. <laughs> so we were going round to have cups of tea with people and they were telling us this time how bad the church was and how bad we were. And, you know, leave. and it was a really, really hard season for us we had four young kids one of our daughters suffered from extreme eczema and her skin was just falling off all the time and just open we had to change her bandages four times a day fiona did the days and i did the nights for five years i got up twice a night to change her bandages not just on her arms but all over her body um, and you just pull those bandages off and it was an open wound underneath. So I spent five years inflicting incredible physical pain on my daughter, you know, because she needed her dressings changed. You know, it had to be done, but, you know, I, as her dad, was causing her a lot of pain. And that really was painful for me to have to do. Fiona had to do it in the day. I mean, this is our daughter who's now getting married this year, and she's such a treasure. You know, she's got such a beautiful, lovely, lovely heart. And I, you know, I, I know I know that was a difficult time in her life, but she has such a heart for people who are going through difficult situations. You know, she has a heart for the, the broken, wounded people. She's a midwife. She just loves being a midwife and everything that goes with it. Before she was a midwife, she was a, she was a nurse in accident and emergency. And she just loved it, you know. She just loved whatever came off the ambulance, whatever state it was. She loved it, you know, because she, she's got a real heart for people who are suffering and going through things. Um, and she's an absolute delight. But those were very, very tough years. And, you know, we did a lot of that in our own strength. Um, you know, and we got to the stage where we... We thought, there's got to be more than this, God. You know, we cannot carry on doing this for the next 20, 30, 40 years. There has to be more than this. You know, we weren't going to give up on God. But we were going to give up on a lot of things. <laughs> because it had just become a big, big burden to us. It was hard work. And that was the time we went to Toronto to this conference called The Father Loves You. And when I had my list... And that was the week that God really baptized us in his love and changed so many, many things. But I know I don't want to go back to that stressful life because that's not a life of freedom. It's not a life of peace. It's certainly not a life of rest. And that's what we are offered as sons and daughters, is a life of freedom, a life of peace, a life of rest, a life of joy. And if your life is not freedom, rest, peace, and joy, then you need to look at it and ask some serious questions. Because <laughs> that's, 
That's looking back at the hamster cage instead of looking forward at what God our Father has for us. See, one of the things I've noticed from my own experience as a dad is it's only really a little child that can be carried. When my kids were young, I could carry them. You know, when we went out for a walk on a Sunday afternoon, you know, Daddy, will you carry me? And you'd pick them up, put them on your shoulders, and you'd carry them for a little while. And then, then I would have this excuse, like, oh, I can't do it anymore. You know, you need to walk on your own. But really, I could, you know, it was like I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't like Timo. I wasn't strong enough to, to carry them all the time. He goes to the gym <laughs> just to do that, just to carry his kids. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was just thinking of what you said last night. <laughs> Don't go there. <laughs> um, you know, but I, I could carry them for a while and then I'd have to put them down. But now they're all grown up. Probably the only one of my four children I could carry is my youngest daughter, who's going to be 24 this weekend, you know. But she's probably the only one I could even pick up and begin to carry. She would not like me carrying her downtown, you know. She would not like me carrying her to the shops, you know. Um, I certainly couldn't pick up my son. He could probably pick up the, you know, all of his sisters in one hand, you know. <laughs> but um, it's a little child that be, that can be carried. Yeah, you know, my kids don't want to be carried now. They're in their twenties. They don't want to, They don't want that. I couldn't do it. So this picture that that we're given of a father carrying a child is a father carrying a little child, which just speaks of that dependence and that reliance and that trust that says, I know my dad can do it. You know, I know that my father is all I need. And Jesus gives us a few keys about this. And one of them is in Matthew chapter 18, where the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I think Peter was standing there thinking, He's going to say, me, I'm the rock. My name's Pete. You know, I think James and John were thinking, no, he's going to say us, you know. We're going to sit on the right-hand side and the left-hand side. Ah, mum fixed it, you know. And so the disciples come and they're kind of thinking, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus' answer must have been a total shock to them. Because Jesus said, well, he didn't say anything, first of all. He took a little child and had the child standing among them. And then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That probably burst the disciples' bubble. <laughs> you know, that was like how to puncture their ego in one easy statement. Because Jesus says it's not about what you've done. It's not about your own human strength. It's coming like a little child. And just in that passage, we get three little keys. The first one is Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you change. And the word that's used for change there is the word for conversion. It's like a complete turnaround. It's like you're walking in this direction and you've got to turn around and walk in this direction. It's a completely different way of thinking, a different way of living, a different way of believing. Jesus says, unless you change. You know, and that's what I was talking about this morning. You know, we spend so long looking back at what we have been set free from. And we need to change. We need to turn right around. And instead of looking at what we've been set free from, we need to look at what we've been set free to become. And Jesus says, unless you change and become like little children. So he's saying we're walking in a direction that we've got to turn around and walk in completely the other direction. And instead of having a sophisticated, wise and learned, got it all together attitude, we've got to walk in the path of being like a little child. Total dependence on a father. And then he says the third key, and it's probably harder for us guys, he says, whoever ever humbles himself and becomes like a little child. You know, and we find it very, very hard to humble ourselves, don't we? 
we find it very hard to let go of our pride, to let go of our independence. But Jesus says this is the key to entering the kingdom of heaven. The, the keys are turning right around, walking in a different way, becoming like a child, not childish, but childlike. Big, big difference. Childlike is just total, total dependence on a father, total, total dependence on a mother, totally believing that they know what they're doing. I mean, our kids do, don't they? They think we know what we're doing. <laughs> and those of us who, who are parents, we know we haven't got a clue. But our kids just believe in us. You know, they, our kids live with daily miracles happening in their lives. You know, they take off their dirty clothes and they leave them on their bedroom floor and a miracle happens because three days later, those clothes are clean, ironed and put away in the cupboards. See, they live with a miracle several times a week. They live with the miracle of knowing it's tea time and there will be food on the table that their mum will just cook them some food. They don't think about, is there any money to buy the food? They don't think, is there any food in the cupboards? They don't think the whole process of, oh, what are we going to have? How long is it going to take to cook? How do I coordinate this, that, and the other on the menu to bring it all together at the same time? They just know that they will sit down at the table and there will be a plate of cooked food in front of them. See, they expect miracles every day. And they are not disappointed. They get miracles every day. You know, we know as parents all the work that goes into all of that, <coughs> don't we? You know, we know that the shopping has to be done. We know that things have to be planned and prepared. And we know all the hard work that goes into doing the laundry and cleaning the rooms. The child just lives in this glorious state of it will happen. Why? Because they, they just believe in their mum and dad. And then they get all sophisticated and grow up. <laughs> and they lose that sense of expecting the miraculous. So they have to come on a school of ministry to learn all about it again and experience all about it again. Because <laughs> we've lost that childlike dependence that says, my dad is good, my dad is big, my dad is strong. See, that's, that's the childlike heart that Jesus is talking about. And you know, children just expect things to happen because they know their parents look after them. They, 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 they know their mum and dad can do it. See, one of the things I, in all the places I travel around to, one of the things I love about America is their can-do attitude. You know, in Britain, particularly in the south of Britain, we have a, no, can't-do attitude. You know, no, we can't do that. And we come up with about a thousand reasons why we can't do something. No, 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 that's too difficult. No, we can't do that. But in America, it's like, yeah, we can do this. And you think, no, no, we can't. But they just have a go. <laughs> you know, and I love that. I love that attitude. I've seen that a number of times as I've been there. And I think, oh, I like this. I like this can-do attitude. You know, because it's so different to, you know, our British way of thinking. I'm sure we've got some good strength somewhere in our history and psyche, but that's just one particular thing, you know? And that's, that's just, that's a little bit like what a childlike heart is like. Oh, yeah, we can do this because God just happens to be our dad. Yeah, and it's like, oh, yeah, there's no problem. Yeah, God can do this for us because he's, he's a good father. And that's what Jesus is talking about here, is this complete turnaround in our thinking, complete turnaround in our way of life complete turnaround in our expectation. Instead of looking ahead and thinking, how am I going to do this? We turn around and say, I just want to watch my father do this. See, we read this passage in Matthew. It's very, very familiar to us, but actually it's very, very hard for us to do. If we're really going to do this, this is actually quite, it's not natural because we're so conditioned to doing things in our own strength. We're so conditioned to being grown up and sophisticated and wise and learned. You know, we're so conditioned to living in pride and independence. 
And yet Jesus says, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, which is a kingdom of love, because God is love, then you need to turn around, have a childlike heart, and live a different way. You know, and some people find this almost impossible to do. It's almost impossible for them to actually let go of their own strength because we've come so far from that childlike dependency, you know, that we had as children when we, when we just believed that our mum or dad would do stuff for us. You know, we've come so far from that that it's so difficult for us now to, to say, yeah, Father, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to let you do it, and I'm just going to go along for the ride. You know, in, in Matthew 11, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary, all who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus gives us an invitation. He says, come. Come and live a different way. You know, if you're weary and, bur- and, and burdened, you know, I will give you rest. And he says that straight after the verses about him revealing who his father is. And the secrets of the kingdom of heaven being hidden from the wise and learned. He says, you know, The secrets of heaven are revealed, not to the wise and learned, but little children. And then he says, I love to reveal who my father is. And then he says, come to me, and I will give you rest. It's like when we discover, when we have that revelation of who the father is, when we let go of our wise and learnedness, and when when we come as little children, it's like suddenly we can enter into a life of rest. And the message says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace, which is what we sang earlier on this morning, wasn't it? Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live lightly and freely. That's what I want. don't know about you, but I want that. I want to live lightly and freely. You know, I want to find what a real rest is. I want to live in the unforced rhythms of grace. And we have a Father who lifts all those heavy things off us, those burdens off us, those things that wear us out, those things that cause us to be exhausted internally. And he says, come to me, and I will give you a real rest. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Walk freely and lightly. See, God our Father is more interested in you than he is with all of your activity. He's more interested in you and in intimacy with you and, and time with you than he is with all the busyness of the activity that you think you're doing for him. What he wants is time with you, as a father has time with his children. I love spending time with my kids. You know, whether it's on the phone or on Skype. When it's their birthdays, we, we have a group Skype, and we get all these computers, and everybody's on, on Skype together. And it's such fun. We put on a television, and... We've got one daughter who's in North Wales where the internet is about negative speed. (laughs) (laughs) And everybody else has got a decent speed, but poor old Hillary's internet is so slow that she starts talking, but it's about five minutes later that we hear. (laughs) And so we have to try and be careful that we give her an opportunity to speak, otherwise everybody else just, just takes it over. But, you know, we just love doing that sort of thing because it's just such fun. And, you know, our Heavenly Father just loves spending time with us. He is so much more interested in us than all of our activity. And when we, you know, when we allow ourselves to be carried, we actually are recognizing our own weakness. 
we're recognizing that we can do nothing on our own, but we can re we're recognizing that we need to rely and depend on who he is. You know, Paul understood this. You know, he, he says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, and he's talking about what God had said to him. He said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. See, Paul knew what the answer was. He was a pretty tough guy, I reckon. You know, he, I don't know how many times he'd been shipwrecked, but he'd been beaten, he'd been stoned. You know, when they stoned you, they meant to kill you. You know, they weren't throwing pebbles at you. They were, they were going for you. And it, I think it was twice he'd been stoned and left for dead. Shipwrecked, beaten. He traveled around. You know, they didn't have airplanes. You know, he went on foot. He went on boat. He, you know, he was a tough guy. He was a physically fit, strong guy. He was the great apostle. Um, but he says that what God said to him was his, that God's power was perfected through weakness. And in another place, Paul says, you know, I don't claim to be one of the super apostles who are coming in with another gospel, but I just come in weakness and humility of heart to share with you what I have received from Jesus. And it's like we think of Paul as this great macho man, you know, big guy, tough guy, founder of the early church, wrote half the New Testament. But yet he says, I really haven't got anything. It's really his power being perfected through me because I am dependent on who he is. I am dependent on him. And I, I just want to leave you with a question. Do you want your own strength or do you want his power? Do you want your own strength or do you want his power? It's a bit of a no-brainer, really, isn't it? <laughs> you know, and the thing that I've discovered is when we learn to live in weakness, when we learn to live in dependency on our Father, when we learn to live in total reliance on who he is and his goodness, what is released in our heart is the power of sonship. Because his power is perfected in our weakness. And the as, as we live in that life of weakness, the power of who we really are is born, is birthed within us. And we live as sons and daughters. We live freely. We live lightly. We live a life of peace. We live a life of rest. You see, don't try and be wise and learned. It won't get you anywhere. You know, use your education and abilities in the areas that they need to be used in. You know, when people come to see me as their accountant, they don't want me to put my arms around them and go, there, 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 you can't pay your tax this month. Oh, how sad, I'm so sorry. You know, they want me to give them advice. <laughs> they want me to use my mind and my knowledge and my ability. I do go there, there, there sometimes with them because <laughs> that's what they need. But, you know, they come to see me and they pay me to, to, to use my mind. But in the things we've been talking about in these few days, it is not about our mind. It is about our heart. And I can't emphasize that strongly enough. You know, my relationship with my father is not a thing in my head. It's a thing in my heart. You know, our relationship with God is not, is not an academic or theoretical relationship. It's a life-giving relationship that comes from the life that is in our hearts. And it's, you know, so yeah, use your knowledge where, where it needs to be used, but that's not the key to living this life as a son or daughter. Living this life as a son or daughter is simply coming as a, as a little child and saying, Father, I need you. You know, I need to live in your love. I need to know that you are fathering me. I need to know that my roots go down into love. And a key to that is actually realizing that we can do nothing, but it's all down to him. 
And so there's, you know, there's an invitation I'm going to leave with you is to come with a childlike heart. You know, allow the Father to pick you up. Allow the Father to carry you. But underneath your life every day are his everlasting arms. You know, some of us have big things that we have to work through. You know, some of us have big challenges. Some of those challenges are good. Some of those challenges are not so good. You know, Timo and Ruth are moving their family to Germany. That's kind of like a big thing. You know, that's not the sort of thing we do every day, but they need to know that they as a family are being carried by their father. Because that's what will give them peace and rest and joy and freedom. If they don't know that they're being carried by their father, it's so unsettling for them. It's a huge thing to do. You know, I looked at their timeline on the kitchen wall of all the things that need to be done. There's a lot to do. You know, they need to know that they're being carried by their father. You know, not all of us face such big things every day, but, you know, whatever we go through, whatever we face, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, we need to know that he's carrying us. And so the invitation is, to, is can we come with a childlike heart? Can we let him reach down and, and carry us? You know, we are limited, but he is not limited. You know, he is totally unlimited in his strength and in his power and his ability to accomplish everything that he wants to accomplish. You know, we are, we are, we are limited to our own limitations. But if we let those go and put them down and come back to his strengths, we then fall into the reservoir of his unlimited strength, of his unlimited power. Thank you for listening to the iDestiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.